G'day all, and welcome to another Glory Days episode, where we take a look at the Aubrey Tigers' 1966 Premiership Triumph. In an era when the Vietnam War and the change to decimal currency was in the news and challenging everyday life. A massive thank you to the Joss family for making this episode possible as we celebrate a remarkable story in the history of the Aubrey Tigers Football Club. It had been 10 years since the Aubrey Tigers had celebrated Premiership success in 1956 under Essendon legend and World War II veteran Jack Jones. They were beaten in the dying seconds the following year to just miss back-to-back celebrations. The next eight years, from 1958 to 1965, had seen not one finals appearance. The recovery plan was put into action when Collingwood Premiership captain Murray Wiedemann was appointed coach in 1965. The improvement was evident, however, an inability to win away from their home ground cost the Tigers a place in the 1965 finals, finishing fifth despite winning 11 of the 18 matches. The four previous years, between 1961 and 1964, Aubrey had won just 15 of 72 games. Some big-name players had departed the Tigers ahead of the 1966 season. 1965 Morris medalist Joe Ambrose 1955 Brownlow medalist Freddie Goldsmith and a young gun Jeff Strang to Richmond where he would play in Richmond's 1967 Premiership. A plummet down the ladder was feared, but not for a man called Wiedemann. The man was a winner. He set about doing just that. I hope you enjoy Tiger Tales, a man called Wiedemann and his foreign legion. Played a few games with him down at Collingwood. That was the connection, yeah. What sort of money was around in those days for a player like you? When I was at Collingwood, if you played a senior game, you got eight quid. Seconds game, you got four. Aubrey, I got 30 quid a game and free board. <laughs> we rang me to say, you know, we're, we're, don't do anything to you here from me again with all this. He said, what are you doing next year? I said, I'm, I, well, I've got the coaching job at Berrigan, but I was going to get 30 quid to coach them. So I said, I'll play with you for 30 quid. And I got three board round at Weeds. That was I'm, real good. How the hell did you get Murray Wiedemann to Aubrey? I, it got me because he'd retired. He retired. I'd say money <laughs> was a big thing. But he was work, He was also working for Rothmans. They didn't mind having a fella up in... Uh, in that area. We'd, um, you know, he'd go anywhere. He was such a good player. He said to me, I was playing in the centre right up until the finals, and he said, I'm taking you, I want you to go out in a half forward flank. He said, and wherever you go, he said, if I get the football, I'll kick it to you. And I, I, think, I think I finished up with a three-off for that day, but he finished up with about five. Point is, half-time, we were 10 goals in front. And every time they kicked a goal after halftime, we'd take it down and kick one back. It, w- it was just just a great day. It was one of those days where you say, gee, you know, I, I enjoyed the years I had at Albury. I also coached Albury in the, uh, the juniors. And we won a premiership in the juniors as well. That was quite 
good as far as I was concerned with the the lads and, <laughs> and we used to sink a few every now and then. The Tigers got down to business, mounting an extraordinary recruiting drive under Murray Wiedemann and his sidekick president, Murray Schnell, adding a dozen players to a list that had won its first ever reserves premiership the previous season. Wiedemann was one of the all-time great players at Collingwood in a career that spanned 11 seasons and 180 games between 1953 and 1963. His resume went something like this. Collingwood Premiership player, 1953 and 58. Collingwood Team of the Century. Collingwood Life Member. Collingwood Best and Fairest three times. Collingwood's leading goal kicker three times. Collingwood Captain four years, including the Premiership in 1958, where he was a stand-in skipper. Victorian representative 1956 to 1960 and Australian Football Hall of Fame inducted 2007. Is it any wonder the recruits flocked to the Albury Sports Ground to play under him? Teammate Maury Purse provided a clue on what may have initiated his move to Albury. Came down in 65 and I was still playing junior footy under Ray Thomas, and he came there in 65. I know that 64, 63, I went to Melbourne with Ray Thomas. He took me down to, I was only a young kid, went down to a finals match in Melbourne, and we're walking along the street. See, Ray played with Wiedemann at Collingwood, and uh, he came out of a shop. Murray came out of a shop. They used to sell cigarettes for those days. He was a traveller for uh, Rothmans. And so Ray started talking to him and had a couple of, he introduced me to him and everything, and uh, Ray said, oh, and Ray just happened to say, oh, you should come up and coach Aubrey. Yeah, and then he's bang, he's up here in 65. So but I'm, I'm not sure who went down and got him or anything, or Ray had anything to do with it, I'm not yeah. exactly sure. Yeah, that's the first record I can have of it, yeah. Brian McMahon, Footscray, Clem Goonan, South Melbourne, Bill Harrington, Footscray, had all played VFL in the 60s. Eddie Botel, Brunswick, Mike Kelly, Wangaratta Rovers, Adrian Chisnell, Corowa, and Bevan Odewin, Waller, all signed up. To top up the recruiting frenzy, four National Service trainees who had been posted to Bowen Giller due to the escalation of the Vietnam War. Charlie Goggin, Charlie Sedgman, Barry Siddons and Merv King also signed as Charlie Sedgman explained. Well, uh, we were posted to Bonagilla, which is the closest to Wodonga. Ron Harvey was coaching with Wodonga. And he came and saw Barry Siddons, Charlie Goggin and myself regarding playing there. We said we'd have a go there. But Merv, he was already committed to Albury and he must have contacted uh, Albury Footy Club. And Murray Wiedemann and Murray Snelly, who was president at the time, they both came out and saw the three of us. And I said to the other two guys, listen, I'd rather play with Wiedemann than against him. And so uh, we all decided we'd play at Albury. So we went in there and that's how we got signed up to play at Albury. The three of us were offered £10 a game. Every now and again, um, a supporter would give you an envelope after the game, which was quite handy because we didn't get much in the army. <laughs> so, uh, But basically £10 a game, which was good money in those days. For Charlie Goggin, his decision was made easier by the Colonel, as teammate David Hunter explained. 
Charlie Goggin we had. We're a bit lucky to pick him up. Billy Goggin's younger brother, he was doing Nasha out at Bandiana at the time. And Murray, like we they obviously heard about him, and Murray went out to see him. And luckily the um, colonel in charge out there was a very keen Collingwood supporter. So I believe he said to Charlie, look, if you want to play and you'll get time off, you go to Albury. And that was it. So, yeah, no, that was good. The pre-season consisted of two intra-club practice matches and a trip to Myrtleford, where the Tigers won the Viscount football knockout, running conjunction with the Myrtleford Tobacco and Hops Festival. The Tigers came from behind at half-time to beat Wangaratta Rovers by 19 points. John Barnett recalls his first experience meeting Murray Wiedemann and his first game under him. Well, back in those days, if you played for St Pat's, you nearly automatically went to Albury. Uh, it was a recruiting ground. Of course, of my father's background, you know, we were sort of bound to go there and Dad would have been disappointed if we didn't. So it was just massive news. You know, he, he was the biggest name since Bob Rose probably to come up. And, uh, uh, and of course, Murray had a presence about him and um, uh, great personality and uh, when he was appointed coach it excited everyone in Albury. Unbeknownst to me, Murray came around to visit us and I wasn't home and uh, twin brother uh, didn't tell me anything about it and I was wondering why <laughs> he was training at Albury and I was nearly going to go down and keep training some pats. So my older brother was back uh, in Albury and Bill said oh he said you're coming down the training and I said oh yeah I'll come down with you and that and as I got there my brother he went his separate way to training and uh, I got to training and I'd never met Murray before I was doing a lap with my older brother Bill and all of a sudden this chap comes screaming over and it's Murray and he said oh he said uh, g'day Bill and he, he turned to me and he said you must be John to training on the Thursday night I went home and just sitting there and the phone rang and Mum said, no, it's for you, and he took that call and I didn't take any notice. And later on that night, listening to the teams over on the radio and my name's in the seniors, and Dad looked at at me and sort of started laughing. He said, yeah, he said, that was Murray ringing up before. He said, he just wanted to let me know that he wanted to play me in the seniors. And the teams were read out on radio that night. Yeah, so if you wanted to know um, how you're going to go, you generally listen to the radio. And they used to sell the critic in the main street of a, a Friday night back in those days. But I thought it was great that Murray would ring my father to, to, to ask. And and your dad make sure you were listening to the radio? or Yes. Yeah. 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 How good is that? Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, and Murray said, said to my father, he said, don't worry. He said, uh, if there's any problems, I'll look after him. Round one, and the Tigers hosted last year's runner-up, Wangaratta. Aubrey led by eight points at three-quarter time and then unleashed a stunning nine-gold final term to win by 50 points. Ray Thomas booted five golds, while Murray Wiedemann and Brian McMahon both kicked four as the Tigers celebrated with a cabaret ball in the club rooms post-match. The Tigers next travelled to the Grove Oval in Yarrawonga in round two and inflicted Pigeons coach John Knox first ever loss at home in his nine games as coach with a 20-point margin. Yarrawonga had finished third in 1965 but could not handle the form of Billy Lesky, Graham Houston, Bevan Odewin and four goals to Murray Wiedemann. Leading into the round three clash at home to Corowa, a fair chunk of the playing group had enjoyed the Aubrey Gold Cup meeting, held in those days midweek. 
Glow Whirl, trained by Richard Freyer, greeted the judge in front of 4,000 spectators after a masterful ride from the legendary Roy Higgins. Wiedemann loved a punt and Merv King tells the story of the Easter stall gift in 1966 when Tiger's very own Bill Howard also greeted the judge. I think we had one practice match in a club practice match at uh, Lambert Park and that was a week before uh, Easter. There was We had a, a, a spell at Easter time. There was no games organised, no training organised and I couldn't work out why. And we had a strapper down there by the name of Pat Kennedy who uh, turned out to be Bill Howard's, the, the, the uh, stall gift winner's uh, trainer. I went back to uh, training on the Tuesday night and uh, there was a four or five blokes so on the highest coast, including Murray and Murray Wiedemann, of course, and... Uh, you know, and they were all laughing and giggling, having a wow of a time. And I found out later that uh, the reason we didn't have a practice match was because Bill Howard, that was Bill Howard's first all gift. Uh, he'd been uh, uh, with Aubrey in 65 and uh, showed a bit as a uh, potential sprinter. But anyway, it turns out that uh, he was a bit of a hidden talent and uh, Murray Wiedemann and uh, Bob Delante and I think uh, Charlie Goggin, Bevan Odwin had a bit to do with it as well. But I know that there's about six of them hopped in a motor car on the... Uh, on the Good Friday and uh, drove down to Stall and uh, they had a killing. They, <laughs> they jumped off Bill Howard's wagon. They got 100 to 1. Wow. And uh, I don't know how much, none, none of us knew how much they had, but they all came back with their pockets full, I can assure you. And we didn't know about it. I mean, we've been training with him for what, or oh, not with him specifically because uh, yeah. he was he was involved in the sprinting. You know, the greatest uh, hidden hidden uh, sting of all time. Yeah, it was unbelievable. As I say, there's only a select few that knew about it. We were all mates with Bill. Bill was, uh, yeah. matter of fact, I was really good mates with Bill, but Bill didn't even let on to me. Oh, so there you go. So oh, it was well mate. done, though, because um, he started odds on. Perhaps feeling the effects of Cup Week, the Tigers were not at their best, but did enough to beat the Spiders by 19 points, with Graham Houston, John Barnett, Clem Gurnan and Charlie Goggin in the best. The local premiership was up for grabs in round four when Crosstown rivals North Aubrey came to the sports ground. They left beaten by 36 points with Ray Thomas and Brian McMahon both kicking four goals. Charlie Sedgman, Bill Lesky and the move of Clem Goonan into the middle inspired the Tigers' big second half after they had trailed by one point at half time. Eddie Botel, after a prolonged clearance wrangle with VFA club Brunswick, played his first game in the seniors, while five Tiger players, Murray Wiedemann, Bill Lesky, Clem Goonan, Ray Thomas and Bernie Dowling were chosen in the Ovens of Murray Football League squad for the interleague semi-final clash against Bendigo in four weeks' time, which would be at the Aubrey Sports Ground. Round five was the road trip to Myrtleford, which highlighted the senior debut of 16-year-old Saint Sam Kekovic, who would go on to play in the Myrtleford Reserves Premiership later that year. Slammin' Sammy, as he was known, nine years later, played in North Melbourne's first ever VFL Premiership in 1975. A hometown victory to savour was on the cards when Myrtleford led by 17 points at half-time. Murray Wiedemann moved himself up forward and booted five second-half goals to steer the Tigers to a 13-point win. Graham Houston said it was always a tough day in the hills against the Saints. But I couldn't get out of Myrtleford quick enough. <laughs> There's some tough boys there, the Crisps or Holmes and all those guys. No, they, they played tough footy down there and you, you had to stand up to, uh, to get through the game there. Yeah, no, they were tough. They were no, on were pretty tough at that time. 
and um, then uh, Wang Rai was at Kim Boyne's that uh, was coached to there. Now, that wasn't a pleasant experience playing against him, I'll tell you. I've heard a lot about Teddy Boyne. Yeah, I don't know where he is today, but I'm not, not going to rush down and say good day to him. Next up was a home game against defending premiers for the past two season, Wangaratta Rovers. Missing for the Tigers were Eddie Botel, who was married midweek, and Charlie Sedgman, who had jungle training in Queensland. Bobby Prater and Barney Kane came in for their first senior matches of 1966. The game was an absolute cracker, with the lead changing seven times and the scores level on four occasions. Aubrey, a game led by second half Murray Wiedemann masterclass, came from behind at half time to win by 22 points, kicking six goals to one in the third term. Prater and Kane were superb, along with Clem Goonan and Bobby Thompson. Ruckman, Bill Harrington, played in the seconds, but the Tigers lost defender Mike Kelly with a broken thumb that would see him miss six weeks. Charlie Goggin will miss the next few games, also with Army training in Queensland. Aubrey celebrated Barney Kane's 100th game with a slogging 22-point win at Benalla. Again behind at half-time, the Tigers led by a five-goal performance from Vice-Captain Bernie Dowling and Graham Houston sparked the revival. Billy Harrington impressed in his debut. Bob Delante heaped praise on him and Houston. He's a great player, Graham Houston. He played mainly uh, on a half-back flank or whatever. Wherever there was a good player, he was he was good. He he'd punch the ball away if he couldn't get you know to the mark, but he was a good mark and everything. And fit, fit as you know all the time. Never missed training or anything like that. Come in, but and he used to come in from a long way out. Walwa, he used to come in, but he never missed training or anything. Billy Harrington, yeah, what a good player he was, and he was coaching. Carl Cairn, and we said to the president at the time, Murray Snell, and uh, he said to Murray, he said, we need another Ruckman. And Murray said, oh, he said, I think I know where we might get one. And they went down, he was coaching Carl Cairn, and he took him from Carl Cairn. I don't know whether he paid for another coach for them or what, whatever went on, but Billy Harrington came down, and what a good player he was. Not many people beat him in the ruck. Club football took a break as the Ovens of Murray, led by Captain Murray Wiedemann, pounded the Bendigo Football League by 63 points at the Albury Sports Ground to qualify for the Country Championship Grand Final. Stan Sargent kicked six goals, while Wodonga coach Ron Harvey was best to field. The bad news for Albury was a knee injury to star defender Clem Goonan. An injury to Peter Aubrey made it eight wins on the trot, beating Rutherglen by 26 points at the Aubrey Sports Ground. The Tigers were without Bevan Odewin, broken hand, and Clem Gurnan knee. Aubrey were top of the table, two games clear of Wangaratta Rovers and Wodonga. The Round 9 clash at Martin Park saw Aubrey lose its unbeaten status, as a red-hot Wodonga made it seven wins in a row to win by 29 points. The Bulldogs' eight-gold second term was the difference. Bob Prater was Aubrey's best, while Ruckman Bill Harrington and Philian reserve graders Roy Poy and Winnie Van Lint showed up others in a disappointing Aubrey effort. The Tigers still led the competition at the halfway point of the season, but just a game clear of Rovers and Wodonga, with its round 10 opponent Wangaratta in fourth place. 
After kicking the first four goals of the game, Albury were on track for its first win at the Wangaratta Showground since 1956. However, they only kicked another three goals for the remainder of the game to suffer back-to-back -back defeats and plummet to third place on the ladder after the 26-point loss. Club football took the bye for the Victorian Country Football League Championship final where the Ovens and Murray Football League were beaten at Wangaratta by the Hamden League 14-7-91 to 12-16-86. Billy Lesky was the sole Aubrey representative in the game. Wiedemann missed that match with injury. Not all players had the week off. As Charlie Sedgman explains, a trip home to Merbein certainly proved an eventful and controversial one. Anyone that was looked like going to Vietnam had to go and do jungle training at Canungra in Queensland. And that uh, was at the time that I'd already got suspended by going back to Merbein to play. So I decided I'd go and do Canungra training while I was suspended. We had um, some a weekend leave, so I went home to Merbein. And the secretary of Merbein at the time said I could play because I was in national service. But as it turned out, that wasn't the case. But I played, got uh, reported along with um, th three other teammates. What happened? I'd all started that one of the boundary umpires that I went to school with come charging in was going to report me for striking. And I just said to him, look, you report me, Ronnie, and I'll kill you. I was charged with threatening an umpire, and so I thought, geez, I can't get reported here. I've got to take off. So I pulled my jumper up and took off down the field with the umpire chasing me. <laughs> and it was right at the end of the game, so I just kept running and went straight into the club rooms. Did he get your number? Yeah, he got my number in the finish. Um, <laughs> you know, the four of us all got suspended. Um, I got the most, uh, four weeks. So you were able then to work in with the army that you could then take your jungle training up in Canungra almost yeah. immediately. Yeah, so uh, I did that and took off and uh, I wasn't very popular at the Albury Footy Club and especially Murray. Uh, he must have forgave me because I made the seniors and I was lucky to have made the seniors because there were some better footballers than me missed out on that grand final side because we had a damn good side. Uh, blokes like Clem Goonan, Mike Kelly, Barry Siddons were all out with injuries. So I was pretty lucky, I think. I believe there was a bit of late season. The, the topic of your suspension came up again late in the year. The league had to deal with it. The Ovens and Murray League had to deal with it. Um, mm. And there, it went on and on. Um, it was pretty sensational, really, because uh, Cleaver Button got involved. He was all in favour of uh, the uh, investigation being squashed, but a couple of the other guys wanted it to go on even further, and I looked like doing another four weeks. But fortunately, Cleaver got his way and uh, it was squashed, so I only had to do me four weeks. The Tigers were recharged and ready for eighth place Yarrawonga with Murray Wiedemann, Clem Goonan and Eddie Botel back in the side. Aubrey on the back of a strong first quarter and dominant games from Bob Delaney, Bob Prater and Graham Houston held off the gallant Pigeons who won each of the last three quarters in a 19 point loss. The win was soured by a reoccurrence of a knee injury to defender Clem Goonan. 
A trip down the Murray to the John Ford Oval for a danger game against Corowa was next with Bernie Dowling missing with injury. A much improved showing on the back of brilliant games from Kevin and Ray Thomas led the Tigers to a 30-point win. Ray kicked five goals and along with Murray Wiedemann who kicked four, dominated the forward line. A Wangaratta win over rivals Rovers paved the way for Aubrey to regain top position. A massive crowd was in attendance for the local derby at Bunton Park and were less stunned when North Aubrey kicked the first seven goals of the game with the visitors taking to the 14 minute mark of the second quarter to register its first goal. Ray Thomas, the star from the previous week, was flattened in the early minutes as the fireworks began. Aubrey fought back to get within 12 points late in the third, but the Hoppers ran home the better to make it five in a row in the 28 point victory. Graham Houston and Wiedemann were best for Aubrey, while Barney Kane did well, restricting North Aubrey star Stan Sargent to three golds. A grievance meeting was held midweek by the Tigers after its third loss in the last five matches. Next up was in for Myrtleford, who had smashed Corowa the previous week by 86 points. A positive for Aubrey was the return of four players, Bevan Odewin, Brian McMahon, Ken Kilpatrick and Bernie Dowling. Odewin had missed eight weeks with a broken thumb. In one of the games of the season, where scores were level throughout, it was a goal from a free kick in the final minute to Vice-Captain Bernie Dowling that got Aubrey home by six points. Once again, it was a best-on-ground performance from Graham Houston that led the charge. Houston explains his style of play, love of fitness, and how he got to the Tigers. You were the best and fairest winner in 1966 in a yeah, premiership yeah, year. Yeah, yeah I, I got the going in the, uh, in the premiership year. But uh, I enjoyed my footy. I had no pressure. I just wandered around wherever I wanted to and got a kick wherever I wanted to. Fairly good at figuring out where the ball was going to go. Yeah, no, I knew where the ball was going and I positioned myself where. And I could take a mark. Couldn't kick much, but I could always get the ball. Yeah, I was, you know, I was an hour in town. I used to come in on Thursdays only, one day a week. Those days after I left school, I was pretty fit. I didn't open gates, I jumped over them on the farm and I, I went from A to B, I ran. Uh, I didn't walk and it took too much time to walk, so I ran everywhere. So I was fairly fit and uh, you didn't get really fit playing uh, training down at all, because there wasn't really any hard work. <laughs> so, uh, no, I was just keen on being moving around, getting stuck into things. And when I played footy, I was exhausted at the end of the game. I used to lie on the bench for half an hour and all the other blokes would be in having a beer. I was too bucket to get up there. I put a bit in when I was playing. I was playing for Wola now for Murray. Uh, getting a few kicks up there and uh, I think Bill McGrath and uh, he was sort of sent the words down to Aubrey that I could play a bit. And uh, Ron Phelps, an old family member, he is a patron there at the Albury Footy Club. Anyway, they all got me down there and away we went, which uh, it's all a bit different because the Albury Footy Club was, all came up, all, everyone started off at St Pat's, which is the Catholics joint, and they, um, all the Protestants played for North Albury. Not me being a Protestant, everyone went, what the hell I was doing at Albury? I said, I don't have a bloody clue. I just went down to get a kick, so it didn't worry me in the slightest. 
There's no. That's how good down there. There was no religious divide in the Upper Murray, mate. No, nothing like that up there. It's just bloody town divide up there. Industry wall, pretty tough up there. <laughs> exactly, good breeding ground. Yeah. The religious persuasions um, had, as you said, had a big influence on this club you went to. And it was. Yeah, it did it did, and uh, I sort of look back on it there now, and it was it was a fair divide, that's for sure. Round 15 presented a huge challenge to the Tigers with an away game against Wangaratta Rovers with the double chance up for grabs. It also saw the return of Charlie Sedgman from his Sunraysia suspension and jungle training. Also, the debut of his army mate Merv King in his first full senior game for the Tigers. King's father, Bill, a former star at South Melbourne, had played at Aubrey. In what many described as the game of the season, Aubrey, led by Murray Wiedemann, won its first game at the Rovers' ground in nine years, with the former Collingwood Premiership star, The Difference. Wiedemann kicked six goals for the game, including the final two of the match, after Rovers had hit the front with only minutes remaining. Graham Houston and Maury Purse reflected on Wiedemann and his presence. Yeah, I remember the first game Murray played, actually. I'd been there for a couple of years before he got there, and Murray pretty relaxed sort of thing. And I thought, well, this is you know, pretty easy, and we got it. I think it was at the sports ground. Against Wodonga. I remember it distinctly because um, we're all getting out there, and was up along around Murray, and they threw the coin up. Someone must have said something to Murray or something like that. Anyway, down this bloke went on the ground. I said, holy hell, I seen that. The game hadn't started and all this sort of stuff. And I said, geez, it'll be on here. Now I'm very pleased to be playing on Murray's side after, after all that because he was an enforcer and he, yeah. he let everyone know that he was, he was the boss man and no one's going to muck around with him. And I guess, Graham, in those days, Wodonga were a pretty strong rival. Oh, yeah, they were. Wodonga was strong. Anyway, he was making a statement, you know, with this. I, the whole thing was over nothing, but he just made a statement. What do you recall about Murray? Obviously, as a player, outstanding. and He was just a strong player. He just physically strong. He never got off the ground. He never jumped in the air. He just got there, pushed people around, took marks, knew where the ball was going. Uh, just a good, strong player, but nothing outstanding about him. Uh, no speed or yep. anything like that. I think we did a bit of circle work and then Dan kicking a couple of run-throughs and that was it. That was all. There was no one ever practised handball. We never practised kicking or anything. It was pretty relaxed the whole show. <laughs> I enjoyed kick to kick. That was my favourite football. He turned it on in the big games, you know. He, he just said, oh, we're, we're going to win this one, and he got stuck right into it. Mm. He got a lot of possession in the first half in that grand final, and took a lot of marks, just in the right place at the right time. Well, I was the youngest bloke playing down there, actually. I was only I was just 17, just turned 18, but then all the other blokes were a lot older than me. He looked after you on the footy field. He was really good, you know, and... Uh, it didn't matter whether it was a tough player. I remember one day we were playing Wang Rovers down at Dan. Kenny Boyd was playing for coach in Wang Rovers. And he said, don't worry about him. He said, you just play footy, I'll look after him. And so he ran out to do the toss on the ground. And they were doing the toss and he just, you could see the finger being pointed at him. And he was very quiet for the day, man. very quiet. The high of the big win against the Rovers was flattened by a rare home ground defeat when Benalla inflicted just the second loss for the Tigers at home in the last two years. 
After a high-scoring first half, Benalla edged in front by six points at the final siren, with just one goal each scored in a slogging final term. Aubrey kept second place after Myrtleford thrashed Wangaratta Rovers. Charlie Sedgman, Merv King, Barney Kane, Bob Delaney and Kenny Kilpatrick were the Tigers' best in a round of upsets that had three of the top four all beaten. The Tigers were getting close to full strength for the Round 17 clash at Rubberglen. This reflected on the scoreboard with Bernie Dowling, David Hunter, Eddie Botel and Bob Prater all in great form as the Tigers prevailed by 45 points. It was Prater who created a bit of drama right on the half-time as teammate Merv King explains and another Bobby Prater story. Bobby was probably my best mate. He was he was groomsman at my wedding, and I think I was in his wedding party. And uh, we were terrific sports today, but they were nothing to me back in those days. I, he played contact glimpses, so good on him. We were playing rather glen, like uh, we were just about to walk off the ground. All of a sudden, heard this bellowing voice, and of course, it was Weedman. Come back here, boys. Bobby's lost a contact lens. Oh, okay. Where about? I uh, just uh, forwarded the centre because no squares in those days, just for about in this vicinity. So we start looking, all of a sudden the seconds guys come out on the ground and they start looking, all of a sudden the crowd, all the supporters came out on the ground. I had no idea what we were looking for. I'd never seen a contact lens before. So anyway, uh, the whole half time we spent <laughs> we spent looking for And just as Rutherford were coming back on the ground, somebody yelled out, there it is. So uh, here's Bobby's contact. So he opens up his eye and then goes to contact without any, I don't know where he would have wiped it, of course. I hope he did. Yeah. So anyway, on with the game. No speech or ending at half time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Bobby's contact lens back in and away we went. And we beat, I remember we reached Brother Glenn and they were a pretty powerful side back then. Yeah. But, but without Bobby's eye lens, we'd have, we'd have, uh, we'd have got beat for sure because he was our gun. Well, we, we better stay on Bobby Prater. Um, tell us the story about the, in, in Dean Street. Bobby Prater. <laughs> Funniest <laughs> story I've ever heard. Bobby uh, worked for Johnson Coglin and Kay. He, he was a uh, he was an accountant or a budding accountant. Just he'd had a, a Zephyr, which a Zephyr was sort of a Falcon compared to a Falcon back in those. This is back in 1966. And he, so he updated his Zephyr to a Zodiac, which was a bit top of the range. It was Ooh. a bit, uh, you know, a bit up more upmarket. So he's left uh, Johnson Coglin and Kay in Townsend Street and he's turned right into Dean Street and up near where the ANZ Bank is now, there used to be the Hume Week Cafe. Not long before that, it was the uh, they'd put in the uh, the first um, traffic lights in Aubrey at the corner of Keywar and Dean Street, just where the post office is. So Bobby's driving his brand new Zodiac up Dean Street. Out walks this uh, mini-skirted girl out of uh, the Humeware Cafe, and of course Bobby, being Bobby, didn't miss anything like that. All of a sudden, bang! He's run up the bum of this uh, this vehicle in front of him. Looks up, what was it? A tow truck. So all of a sudden, Blake shut down the tow truck, had a look at Bobby's car, <laughs> dropped the hook, hooked him, <laughs> took him straight down the panel beaters. <laughs> no ifs, no buts, no, no exchange or anything. <laughs> You're not driving this anywhere, so he just dropped the hook and away he went. Yeah, yeah. He would have copped it at train. He, everybody knew about it. I think even the opposition were on to him too. You know, you can't, if you can't see, you can't drive and things like that, you know. Yeah, but anyway, it cost him a fair bit of money getting his uh, new Zodiac repaired, I can assure you. So, going into the final home and away match, the equation was simple for Aubrey. Beat their opponent, fourth place Wodonga at home, and they will finish second behind Wangaratta. The team, other than long-term injuries to Clem Goonan and Mike Kelly, was close to full strength. The game was the perfect pre-finals trial, with both sides turning on brilliant football, with Aubrey leading by 19 points at half-time, before Wodonga unleashed a seven-goal third term to steal the lead going into the last quarter. 
Led by Graham Houston, Murray Wiedemann and the Thomas brothers, Kevin and Ray, Aubrey kicked four goals to one to win a cracking contest by 16 points and seal the double chance. The Tigers' seconds missed finals by half a game. The following day, the votes for the Morris Medal were counted at the Aubrey Football Club rooms with an open invitation to people who were interested. The winners were declared at a delegates meeting later in the afternoon at Rutherglen. The winner was Neville Hogan, Wangaratta Rovers on 19 votes. One vote ahead of joint runners-up Sam Donovan North Aubrey and Teddy Lovett from Myrtleford. Graham Houston with eight votes was Aubrey's highest poll player. Houston's season of excellence was rewarded with a runaway win in the club best and fairest, polling 69 votes. Runner-up Bill Harrington on 29 and Bobby Prater third on 26. North Aubrey star Stan Sargent was the leading goal kicker with 76, three ahead of Wangaratta's Jeff Scott. Murray Wiedem with 43 was seventh with Ray Thomas 10th on 34 goals. The first semi-final was played at Yarrawonga and what a beauty it was with defending premiers. Wangaratta Rovers coming from 16 points down at three quarter time to win by two points and eliminate Wodonga. So all roads led to Benalla for the second semi-final with Aubrey playing in its first final in eight years while Wangaratta were trying to go one better after having finished runner-up in both 1964 and 1965. Aubrey made one change for the game with Adrian Chisnell coming in for the unlucky Merv King. The ground at Benalla was in surprisingly good condition after three inches of rain leading into the match. The Tigers started brilliantly with its pace and ferocity at the ball overwhelming the sluggish Magpies. After kicking four goals to one in the first term, Aubrey booted the first three goals of the second quarter to take a 33-point lead as the heavy rain arrived. Wangaratta hit back with the next four goals to bring the margin back to just six points at half-time. The Tigers kicked four goals to two in the third and they led by 17 points at the final change. The last quarter had everything, with Wangaratta getting the margin back to three points with 10 minutes remaining. The Magpies bombarded the Tiger defence relentlessly but could only score two behinds to trail by a point. Wangaratta coach Ron Critchley had gathered the ball as he was about to kick a goal, Tigers fullback Barney Kane pulled off a desperate tackle that stalled him as his kick on goal was beaten by the buzzer to avoid the game going into a replay the following week or a magpie victory. Barney Kane and fellow defender David Hunter both recall the moment. Critchley got the ball and I grabbed him and swung him away from the goal like that and he got his foot to it but missed, must have missed the... The points. <laughs> Everything fell into place because second semi we played Wangaratta down at Banella. We'd led all day and Wangaratta were coming home with a wet sail. No one knew what the time was, but we knew it was pretty close and I marked the ball. I said to Weed, what do you want me to do? And he said, run as far as you can and kick it as far as you can. So I took off just as I was about to kick it, Ron Critchley, their coach, came in, smothered the ball, grabbed it, kicked the ball, and while it was in the air, the siren went, and was that was it. And the next week, the two Wang sides had to play. We went straight into the grand final, and the two Wang sides played, and, of course, they weren't the best of friends, and uh, they got into it, and there were injuries and, I think, suspensions, and, of course, we played the 
grand final on our home ground down there. And, uh, yeah, but anyway, yeah, that was it. The Tiger fans erupted and streamed onto the ground, mobbing the players. Ruckman Bill Harrington was best to field, with Bob Delaney and Brian McMahon both kicking three goals. Murray Wiedemann, Bob Prater, Bill Lesky, Charlie Goggin and Barney Kane were others to shine. The Tigers' somewhat fortunate win was despite having nine less scoring shots, 13 goals nine to 11-20, and the start of a sequence of events that would make them a very firm favourite going into the grand final in a fortnight. The day after the semi-final, Wangaratta star Kevin Mack broke his neck diving into water on an outing in the Warby Ranges. He would miss the remainder of the season. Graham Houston spoke about Kevin Mack. Well, I rated him the best three I've played against uh, in Adams and Murray, and uh, I was getting a bit late in his career now for Murray, but he could still get a kick up there. But no, he was a he was probably the one of the best two or three footballers when I was playing. Pleased he wasn't in that semi. Nice confidence booster for the Tigers. Oh yeah, because no, he was a, he was a dominant player, and uh, fortunately for him, but fortunately for us, he wasn't there, and uh, probably made the difference. League delegates voted that Albury Sports Ground would host the grand final as part of the rotation policy to play the grand final in either Albury or Wangaratta. Wangaratta had requested that Bunton Park, North Albury, would be the venue. League delegates voted that the Albury Sports Ground was the best and most appropriate venue. Wangaratta beat old rivals Wangaratta Rovers in the preliminary final by 25 points. The victory though came at a heavy price with star rover Ian Allen breaking two ribs and rugged back flanker Tommy Norman being suspended in one of many fiery incidents. These omissions along with the injury to Kevin Mack rattled the magpies. So the 1966 season that started in round one with Aubrey playing Wangaratta at the Aubrey Sports Ground would end with the same two teams at the same venue. The Tigers made one change with Merv King being recalled, replacing the unlucky John Prentice, who despite being 20th man in the semi-final, did not come onto the ground. Merv King recalls his surprise at his selection. I played in the last game, I got dropped I, um, and uh, I went down to Manila. Didn't go on the bus, so I, uh, I was pretty disappointed, but I still went down and watched the game and um, the boys went on the on the bus and had a wow of a time. I remember going, I went home, I, I, had the, I had the sooks and went home and Dad told me to get back to the club rooms and, and be part of it and enjoy it, so I went back. I remember the boys, they must have stopped at every pub between between Benalla and Albury and uh, they got out pretty well pretty well being on the source for a fair while and they were singing as they walked in the door we all live in the yellow submarine why they were singing that I don't know but it was a and they were pretty joyous they'd won by one point and here am I wasn't part of it I wasn't too wrapped about that but as it turned out I got to be uh, selected in the grand final thank god so um, poor old Johnny Prentice's um, expense so I've always felt for John. Every time I saw John, I uh, I felt for him. Yeah. When did you find out you were playing in the grand final? <laughs> on the Friday morning, I was over at uh, Bandiana. One one of my roommates went down um, to uh, to get have breakfast, and he came back, and the board of I was in there, and he said, "Hey, you're in the side." He told me I, I was in the side on the Friday morning. He must have thought I knew because uh, it was pretty nonchalant about it. He said, "I see you're on the bench." I said, hey, "What?" He said, "You're on the bench." 
for tomorrow, for Saturday's game. I said, oh, you're joking. So, wow. Yeah, so that's you how I found out. You picked up your day? Oh, mate, I, I didn't – I was pretty high as a kite on the Friday. I didn't do much work on the Friday, I can assure yeah. you. So that was a, a big day, a huge day. A packed Albury sports ground of over 12,000 spectators witnessed complete Tiger dominance as they had the game all but won by half-time, kicking nine goals to nothing in a first half dominated by inspirational coach Murray Wiedemann. Wangaratta, after scoring the first behind of the game, were completely outclassed and looked to be feeling the effects of a bruising final series. It took till the eight-minute mark of the third quarter to kick their first goal. Fullback Barney Kane, who had the job on Magpie's glamour forward Jeff Scott, spoke about a pre-game dream and his role on Scott. This was in the morning going to, going, yep. to, going to the grand final from Dean Street to the football ground. And, uh, and Murray was looking a bit worried. I said, stop worrying, we're going to win by 10 goals. I dropped it last night. And he said, I hope you're right. <laughs> well, I, I don't know why. No one else could. I, I didn't do anything nasty to him or anything. I never, never went near him. The first two times I got the ball, I was up at the centre half back and running and kicking it down to the forward line. And uh, it wasn't until after that, the first couple of bounces that I we got two goals, about three or four minutes, whatever it was. And uh, because, yeah, I said, oh, I better go there and see what the... Scotty's doing. I haven't said hello to him yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know why he would be worried about me. Cause so how did how did he go in the grand final? Did he kick any on you? No. No. In the end, they chipped him down the back line. I know he kicked 13, 5 and 8 the last three games. And then he got three on me at Benalla. And I wasn't real happy with that, but that was about the only kick he had. I said, don't worry, he won't get any in the grand final. <laughs> but I never was roughed him up or anything like that. No, I just kept away from me. Aubrey led by 55 points at half-time and maintained the same margin on the final siren, winning 14-11-95 to 5-10-40. John Barnett spoke about the luncheon before the game, a few player nerves, and the coach's dominance. It, actually, it was a beautiful day, and uh, Murray had arranged for us to have lunch at the old Carlton Hotel, and we all went there, and um, they served us a steak, and because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because nowadays they say that's the worst thing you can have before a game, but back in those days, that's what everyone thought it was good for you. And so Jimmy Howard was the publican, and um, yeah, we all sat down and had a steak, and uh, everyone was sort of reasonably confident. And uh, but I remember Kevin Thomas; he went over to get a cup of tea, and as he's walking past, I could hear this rattle and jingling. He was that nervous and shaking that the cups and saucers <laughs> was rattling together, oh, and, and he was an experienced player. Yeah, he walked down the ground, and it was a big crowd there. Home, home Massive game, crowd. virtually. Yeah, twelve thousand people. Oh yeah, I remember walking around the boundary line on the old bike track and uh, yeah, saying good day to quite a few people. Yeah, yeah no, it was it was quite exciting. Yeah. And a big win. Oh, it was huge. Yeah, but Murray really turned it on. He um, 
he, he was supposed to have had a, quite a substantial bet on the game. And, uh, you know, I think he had 25 kicks and 15 marks and kicked four goals. And yeah. He just um, turned it on. He, he just had that presence about him. Bob Delaney, who kicked three goals in the grand final, was awarded the Tigers' best player in the finals. And he spoke about Wiedemann's ability to impose himself and his investment in the grand final with a Wangaratta bookmaker. While David Hunter explained a pre-season bet Wiedemann had also outlaid with his old mate in Wangaratta. I can remember the first game that he came, we, we played. We played Wodong at the sports ground. Kevin Rogers from Wodonga, give Murray one right behind the ear. Bang. You'll get plenty of that while you're up here, Wiedemann. So... We had marked the ball, went back, kicked the ball. He said, well, we said, you should have killed me. He went back. And Rogers never played anymore for the season. <laughs> yeah, he hit him hard. <laughs> and, of course, he only got the one umpire in them days. Oh, well, he, he stamped his authority. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he kept putting in all the time. I'll tell you this story because it's, it's as true as you can get. He said to me, there's a, a bloke who uh, was a bookmaker in Wangaratta who followed Wangaratta very much, and he said to Murray, he was pretty sure that they, after they got within a point of us, that they would beat us. Yeah. And he said, I'll give you three to one. We'd, we'd said, oh, I'll have a thousand pound on it. And he said to me, he said, I've got three to one. And he, said, he said, I've had a thousand pound on them. I said, shit, you want to play well? He said, you're on half. He said, I said, well, we both better play well. <laughs> that was the grand final, yeah. Well, there you go. It was a, a real good day. Yeah, it was. Murray backed us at the start of the year to win money. He was a man's man, Murray. And he was also a woman's man too. But that's another story. But he was a man's man and uh, he was a punter. Before the second year he coached, First year, we were sort of establishing a side. Second year, he uh, went down to Ray Parkinson in Wangaratta, who was a fairly big bookmaker at the time, and he had a 1000 on, which was a bit of money in those days for us to win at, um, I think he got $4, had a bit to pay for over the year, apart from the prestige of being the winning coach and everything, and then he went on to coach Collingwood. But, uh, yeah, no, he did. Hanging over our heads, we managed to win. But you know, it was a good year. But Murray had a good win, and uh, yeah, he was uh, he was one of the best footballers I'd seen. Um, you know, like he was captain of Collingwood, of course, and he um, uh, oh, he was a good player. Other players to star in the close to perfect team performance in the grand final were Bobby Prater. Bill Harrington, Kenny Kilpatrick, Frank Sedgman and Bill Lesky in his 100th game. It was, however, Murray Wiedemann who was clearly best on ground as the Tigers claimed its 10th premiership and first flag in 10 years. For both Merv King and Charlie Sedgman, the euphoria of a grand final triumph was soon brought back to earth with news that they would be on a plane to war-torn Vietnam within weeks. There was uh, Charlie Goggin, Charlie Sedgman and I 
played in that grand final. We were all um, national servicemen. And uh, so being over at Mandiana, we didn't have the long weekend. We only we didn't have the Monday off. So we had to go back after a big weekend. It was a pretty solid weekend. Like uh, They kept on going for three or four days, the rest of them. But unfortunately, we were in the army and had to be uh, had to be back out there at, uh, on the Monday. Anyway, I'll... Uh, at about oh, 10 o'clock, I still remember Charlie Sedgman and I were called into Adjutant's office and uh, we were given the, the, the news that uh, that uh, we were off to Vietnam in uh, nine days' time. And all of a sudden, some bloke tells you, you know, that you're uh, in nine days, ten days' time, you've got to go to a theatre of war. It, it, it's a bit of a wake-up start after you've just played in the grand final. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, within within the 10 or 11 days, we were on our way to Vietnam. We were in Vietnam, actually, and after winning a grand final. It, it hit home pretty hard. But, look, we'd been to Canungra and done our jungle training. So, I mean, you're never ready to go to war. Now, anybody can says they are, they're, they're, not, they're telling you lies. Nobody wants to go over and be shot at by real bullets. I'd never been on a plane before. Left to go. We went from uh, Essendon Airport. We uh, we hopped on a, an Electra, and I can remember I'm going to die before I get to even get to Sydney. You know, this plane took a virtually went straight up in the air, and I thought, Gee, is this what flying's all about? I'm out of here. So anyway, and then flew to Manila. We flew from Manila to um, to Saigon, and we went around a cyclone, and we were in the, we were in the crash position for uh, nearly an hour going around this cyclone, and the wings waving at us. You know, I thought, Jesus, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die before I get to Vietnam, I'm telling you now. So anyway, when we flew Pan Am, Qantas didn't fly into uh, so in the yeah. theatre of war. So so yeah, and then we flew from old Caribou, from Saigon to Vung Tau in the Caribou. Well, you know, it was just like flying at a tiger moth. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. After the game, had to uh, tell my parents who came over from Merbein, that we were off to Vietnam, which sort of dampened our uh, celebrations pretty much. Bar- Barry Siddons and myself were called down to the office in the army and uh, told that um, we were going. But I kept it from my parents till after the grand final and I told them... Do you remember telling them? Yeah, I do. Because my dad was in the Second World War and he uh, broke up pretty badly, so uh, that didn't help the situation. <laughs> But, um, you know, uh, it's just one of those things uh, we had to put up with. You go from the absolute high. Yeah, that's right, until the very lowest of uh, all times uh, when you've got to tell your parents uh, uh, that you're off to Vietnam within weeks sort of thing. Well, I tried to smooth it over a bit by saying that... uh, oh, they're only saying we might have to go sort of thing. So I tried to get around it that way, Rob. But it was a 12-month stint. I think we only done uh, 10 months. We didn't do it the full 12 months anyway. You didn't know uh, where the enemy was. And uh, even though we weren't up on the front line, uh, no one knew where the front line was. It's like you're fighting New South Wales and Victoria sort of thing. The 1966 Aubrey Tigers Premiership side was, from the back line, Adrian Chisnell, Barney Kane, Graham Houston. Halfbacks, Bill Lesky, David Hunter, Charlie Sedgman. Centre line, Kenny Kilpatrick, Bob Prater, Kevin Thomas. Half forwards, Bob Delaney, Bevan Odewan, Ray Thomas. The forward line, Eddie Botel, Brian McMahon, Charlie Goggin. Rucks, Bill Harrington, Murray Wiedemann, Bernie Dowling. 19th man, John Barnett. The 20th man, Merv King. 
Well, there you go. What a great story and a wonderful moment in the history of the Albury Tigers Football Club. We pay tribute to the 521 Australian service personnel who paid the ultimate sacrifice during the Vietnam War. Once again, a huge thank you to the Joss family for making this historical reflection possible. For now, stay safe, thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us next time on The Glory Days.